Hey everyone and welcome. My name is Lily and I am with my co-host Ariel. Hello everyone. We are Macquarie University students studying English literature and we are bringing this podcast to you today for the MQ Student Writers Festival. We are going to be talking about the Me Too movement, its representation in fiction and why these conversations are important to the current context of feminism and its focus on intersectionality. Yeah, so before we get started, it is important to note that we are going to be discussing topics surrounding the Me Too movement and sexual violence. This means that there will be trigger warnings for topics such as rape, racism, misogyny and ableism. As we have mentioned, Ari and I both believe that it is important to base this coming discussion of the Me Too movement on intersectional feminism. An intersectional focus is one of the main characteristics of third wave feminism and needs to be at the forefront of any discussion of feminism today to grasp what we are really fighting for. It is important to note that the Me Too movement was created by Tarana Burke, a woman of colour, and started as, as, and started as a community organisation prominently for women of colour and survivors of sexual assault. When the movement skyrocketed into popular media spaces such as Twitter in 2017 under the hashtag MeToo, the movement's roots in the inherent issues of race and class in the discussion of sexual violence was, to varying extents, whitewashed. Class is another facet of intersectional feminism that must be a part of the conversation if we are going to be working through the processes and politics of access to help, as well as a safe space to speak up about sexual violence. Further concerns of intersectionality in the discourse of sexual violence include ability, which also pertains to issues of unequal access to assistance and a voice on the Me Too stage. Lily and I chose The Nowhere Girls by Amy Reid and Queenie by Candace Carty-Williams to discuss the Me Too movement and the prevalent issues surrounding it. The Nowhere Girls follows three girls who come together to avenge the rape of a fellow classmate and in the process triggers a change in the misogynist culture at their high school, transforming the lives of everyone around them. Whilst Queenie focuses, the, focus on, focuses on the eponymous protagonist Queenie Jenkins, who is a 25-year-old Jamaican-British woman living in London, straddling two cultures and slotting neatly into neither. After a messy breakup from her long-term white boyfriend, Queenie seeks comfort in all the wrong places, including several, several hazardous men who do a good job of occupying brain space and a bad job, a bad job of affirming self-worth. Um, Me Too fiction and intersectional feminism are prominent in the Nowhere Girls and in Queenie in bringing visibility to sexual violence and the Me Too movement. Lily and I will be discussing these issues further in the upcoming questions. Okay, so part one is we are going to be talking about rape culture. So the first question we have is what is rape culture and why is it important to discuss? Well, it's important to have a clear understanding of what rape culture is and being able to identify it as there is no fixed term. So through research, Lily and I have identified a basic definition of what rape culture is. Rape culture is a phenomenon in which sexual violence is normalized through societal constructs of gender and sexuality. Um, also, the founder of the Me Too movement, Tarana Burke, had a really engaging quote that was really important in discussing this. It says, sexual violence knows no race, class, or gender, but the response to it does. Um, yeah, so um, examples that we've kind of pinpointed are that um, you know, it can range from victim blaming, which is obviously a big part um, of the Me Too movement, victimhood, um, and it can also come in the form of microaggressions um, from the way women dress to the way they speak. Um, and the presence of rape culture in our society is an important topic of conversation for the Me Too movement, um, as it's the main reason that Tirana created the campaign um, in the first place. So um, the phrase Me Too was originally coined in 2006 by Tirana. 
Um, and she created this community to show other survivors of sexual violence just how pervasive rape culture is, um, particularly for women of colour and um, women of colour living in poverty. Um, and a really interesting quote that we found in one of our books, The Nowhere Girls, was part of their um, manifesto, The Nowhere Girls Group. Um, they read a little bit of a manifesto and they put it up around the school. Um, and there was this really interesting line that says, let us be clear, rape is not about sex. It is about power and violence and control. And this mirrors a really interesting point that Tarana makes in a TED talk that she gave about the Me Too movement. Um, and it's that rape, culture, rape, and um, all of those things are about power and privilege, um, which is really important to remember. I think it's also interesting that... Um when someone commits the act of rape or assault, it's their need for dominance and control. And like sexual violence will continue to persist as long as society maintains the tra traditional constructs of masculinity, I think also disregards the subjugation of women. And also like, you know, the one of the parts of like victim blaming and it also like enacts oppression in, in all like aspects of it. Yeah. Well. Um, and yeah, just like, we also talked about the few examples, which was um, in the Nowhere Girls. Uh, an example is the Real Men of Prescott blog. This is an online forum dedicated to objectifying women and spreading the message of rape across to men. This is also a really good example of rape culture that we found. And the Nowhere Girls manifesto and their movement kind of pushes back against the ideal um, of, like, of, of this blog. Um, where they do secret emails and meetings and they do a sex strike um, and also like they flood the police station to testify which shows a great way of like community and resilience amongst the girls yeah definitely like they're two very stark examples in that novel that kind of exemplify rape culture um, on you know either spectrum so what um, attitudes and um, actions that can lead up to rape and sexual violence and then kind of on the other end where the girls are actually standing up and saying that putting their foot down and that they've had enough that's why they do the sex strike um and they also have secret the secret meetings um and then at the end of the book when they go to the police station in a huge number and make the police officers listen so we'll move on to the next question which is what are the different ways that rape culture shows up in our lives yeah so um We've kind of pinpointed that um, rape culture influences the way that both men and women behave. Um, and this is ultimately the influence of the patriarchy um, and its power to control blame and responsibility. Um, this is a complication in the Me Too movement, um, as Tarana has said, um, because, um, you know, people make comments such as the Me Too movement has created a gender war and, um, all women are now man-hating and um, it's turned into a vindictive plot against men. Um, and ultimately, I mean, there's so many things that you can unpack in that, but ultimately it's shifting the focus away from survivors, which is the most important kind of part of the Me Too movement. It's about um, putting the focus on survivors, passing the mic, letting them speak up um, mm -hmm. and creating those spaces. Um, so we have kind of also 
found it really interesting when we talk about allyship in the Me Too movement um, and how it's kind of turned into that phrase that's thrown a lot around, around a lot, um, not all men, which is pretty much just based on male privilege. Um, and by men saying not all men, they are erasing the experiences and limiting the voices of women in exchange for allying with potential um, rapists or it doesn't even have to go that far though but people that you know are not actively participating in um, the Me Too movement and what it stands for. Yeah definitely have to agree with that. So we looked um so from the Noah girls there's these really great quotes that um go against well go for the not all men agenda which is an entitlement so effortless, these men don't even know it's there. The price tag of always getting away with it, the privilege of getting to raise more sons just like them. And we also talked about how this can also be generational, not only like this can also like this can also be learned from the institutions, you know, because we are under a patriarchy, but this can also be brought down in families where, you know, the fathers can teach their sons about, you know, objectifying women or not treating just a woman right. And another great quote was, but you do nothing. You look the other way and you let your friends hurt. Use and rape more girls or worse, you encourage them, you cheer them on or worse, you do it too. This just sums up the whole point of not all men, basically. <laughs> just allying with their male counterparts whilst, whilst not just not supporting, I guess, survivors and their testimonies. Yeah, and it's it just comes down to, I think, it this comes up with a lot of um injustices in our society at the moment where it's it's just not enough anymore to to put your hands up and say um oh well I don't do that so and I don't need to do anything else because that's not what I'm doing so it's not my problem but um it's just not enough anymore and that kind of is where it turns into it can even kind of bleed into performative activism where you yourself kind of contain your views and your actions but you don't actually extend them and push against what's happening um and another um example that we found in queenie that's very interesting (laughs) um Yeah, so it's a little bit different to the No World Girls example, but it's also kind of where it can come up in um, relationships and things like that, where um, Queenie, uh, towards the end of the novel, signs up for a dating app and starts talking to a man on there called Balding Alpha. Silence. Balding Alpha, which we need to take a moment for. We then then know that his name is Courtney. which is a really great thing that this author has done in this book has made all the men's names so generic and basic and just shows how inconsequential they really are to this story, Um, which is a great choice. We both agree. Um, So she goes out with this man on a date slash one night stand and um, they they get onto the topic because Courtney, when they were talking on the dating app, starts to go on a big kind of virtue signaling rant about um, having types for women, which is rape culture territory right there. Um, 
you know, he makes comments like, um, I'm not racist, but, and then goes on to call Queenie chocolate. Um, and, you know, says things like, I knew you were one of those when Queenie gets offended by something that he says and he goes, oh, you know, one of those. She's like, what do you mean? And he's like, one of those Black Lives Matter girls. And it's so, it's just so easy. You can you can sub that out for the Me Too movement and it's it'd be the same reaction and it's so reductive. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, I thought you'd want to be challenged. And it's, it's that way that it's virtual signalling that is only performative and there is no actual kind of responsibility for actions or um, views and we just found that that was a really kind of interesting and like um, topical example because I mean in the age of dating apps and on social media at the moment it's um, it's where these things can happen I mean like they're not as they don't have to be as overt as um you know other examples but it's still just those kind of microaggressions that pop up and um are just as harmful you can also you can also tell and see that he has a sense of entitlement especially because he is a white cisgendered man exactly and then you know that entitlement pops up he you know he goes on about how he has male friends of color yeah um, oh no about race in that I love it when they say like, oh yeah, but I have a black friend. I can say that. Oh, I have this friend. I can say this. And I'm like, no, you cannot. That does not have, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. So basically the summary, like summary of this point was that rape culture is ingrained into our patriarchal society and that um, survivors have to face the obstacles in speaking up about the, their experiences, even though that there will be pushback um, against what they say and how voicing out. Exactly, and how these, you know, different examples of, um, you know, um, what we've talked about with not all men and um, things like that, it just um, shows the kind of obstacles that are put, as you said, put in the way of victims speaking up um, and it's something that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So we're going to move on to the second part now. Um, We're going to talk about victimhood which is kind of like an umbrella, um, comes under the umbrella of rape culture. Um, So why is it important in addressing victimhood amongst society, do you think? Well, victimhood is one of the most prominent aspects of rape culture. Um, It's one that people, I feel like people would know most about as being like a category of rape culture. And also says that violence is also the trauma we hold after the act. So trauma holds possibility. This was taken from the TED Talk from Tarana Burke. Um, and so we move on to what are the limitations of, and effects of victim blaming and silencing victims? Um, so I think it's, yeah, I think it's, as you said, it's really important to look at victimhood and how the category of victim is constructed and what it does, which, um, and so the vulnerability of women juxtaposed with the dominance of men is kind of a, um, key aspect in how um, the category of victim is constructed. Um, I think vulnerability is really twisted in these conversations um, and it just comes back to kind of um, the patriarchal um, hierarchies between the genders that have been created. And also um, the unba- un- like the unbalanced dynamic between like... Um, yeah 
that's always going to be there um, as long as we live in a patriarchal society and that's why we need to kind of be proactive in not like calling out the injustices around us so that we can shift these societal um, traditional and, norms. Yeah, and like these institutional um, norms that are in place, which is, you know, the patriarchal society, um, because that's the only way that these things are going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what you just said about women, the vulnerability, the vulnerability of women juxtaposed with the dominance of men. You can clearly see this in the quote from the Nowhere Girls where the principal is interviewed on air. She says, we live in such a culture of entitlement and blame and playing the victim card when we feel we don't get the kind of treatment we deserve. I think the girls involved in this need to stop for a moment and ask themselves what their part is in their dissatisfaction. Maybe then they will stop blaming boys for all their problems and stop using them as their scapegoats. But they're young and full of emotions. They don't understand and they've found the wrong outlet for it. Um, Especially in the latter half of the um, quote, you can see how she plays up the vulnerability of women and how they seem to not understand and be in tune with their emotions. And that's just a really, just it's like a really backward way of thinking and looking at it. Mm, and it's really harmful yeah it's harmful um yeah definitely I mean it was quite shocking to read that seeing as she is a female power and of course women don't owe anyone anything when they're in power in this way but it's still just I think it was a really good choice of the author to kind of um place this um and play kind of this dynamic out as she has with the choice of the principal being female. Um, And I think it kind of really makes you think how, just how ingrained kind of the patriarchy can become. Um, And it's, you know, it's almost an example of um, internalized misogyny. Yeah. um, Which is also something that can't be forgotten in these discussions. Um, It needs to be unlearned. You have to work through yourself to unlearn. Exactly. But it's so hard and it's so hard not to kind of turn on each other in these situations mm-hmm. and not realise where this stuff is coming from. Um, and we've also got another example um, in Queenie. And it's a it's a big part of the book and it's something that um, was really important to us. And it's when, um, so Queenie um, develops a relationship with a man in her office named Ted and they, for most of the time, exchange emails. They, they meet up a few times. Um, but kind of the thing to highlight is here is that there is there comes a point where Queenie is accused of workplace misconduct re- regarding Ted. Um, and this is in the way that he, um, Queenie's boss tells Queenie that um, Ted has spoken to HR confidentially and um, he said that Queenie's been paying him a lot of attention, saying suggestive, inappropriate things, following him around, and that makes him entirely uncomfortable and stressed in his workplace. And it's just insane to read that because that is, Ted has completely flipped um, being a victim. Um, I to mean, support, like to support his own needs and in his like his place of privilege yeah exactly so um 
And, I mean, in this same passage, Queenie says, is this what growing into an adult woman is, having to project and accordingly erase the avoidance of sexual harassment? And I, like, I honestly wouldn't know what to do if this happened to me in this situation. It's kind of just like there is no way that she can really um, overcome this because this man, this white cis man has taken away um, kind of, he's taken away Queenie's ability to speak up about this, got in there first, beat her to the, um, you know, better, you know what I mean, like beat her to it. Um, And it's just, it's so terrifying because his word is taken without question. Um, And and then later in the novel, um, you know, he retracts this and writes Queenie a letter because he's worried that she's going to speak up. And then... Um, you know, she kind of tries to explain to her boss what's happened and she goes, oh, well, no, we just need to sweep this under the rug because we don't want to make a commotion. And, um, and also another point I have to um, point out is that her boss is also another fellow woman. Exactly. Another woman in power that's just, and, yeah, so these two kind of um, dynamics are really um, kind of complex and that's another kind of um, shows the complexity of the Me Too movement. Yeah, and also talking about like another complexity of the Me Too movement is also intersecting it with the intersectional feminism. Um, especially in the Noah Girls, we also get like these small passages of, you know, these um, random students at the high school who like give give their take on like on the Me Too movement and, you know, sexual assault. And so one of the girls, um, a, a fellow Black student, she said, because this feminism or whatever it is they're doing, it's a white girl thing. When they go around and go around making demands and yelling, people call them fired and passionate. But black girls don't have that privilege. When black girls stand up for themselves, people call them hostile. They call them dangerous. They call them other things. That was also a really powerful thing because that's true. Uh, I think there's a lot of stereotypes against black women um, and it just wouldn't really work in their favor. And yeah, what did you think about it as well? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think in our research we found this really interesting quote and it says, the widely held association of speech with freedom. And I think that really speaks to this um, part in the novel because a complexity of kind of the category of um, being a victim is that um, we assume, especially kind of um, comes from the privilege of being a white woman in these situations like we associate oh like everyone can speak up you know we've made this movement and now it's really you know everyone can speak up and everyone's going to be heard and it's going to be great but we need to think about in a in an in in a intersectional way how this is not true for everybody um and you know this bleeds into you know kind of Um, white woundedness and kind of the privilege of um, that is within the Me Too movement, not Mm -hmm. even just between men and women, but between women and women in the Me Too movement. Um, And that's just kind of another way that um, the category of victim can be constructed in a way that makes it um, harder for people to speak up, um, just even apart from, you know, pressures from the patriarchy and things like that it like silences the voices of women of color um yeah and also like there just needs to be more spaces for women of color to voice out their opinions and 
like they, like there needs to be a mic passed over like the, like they need to create more spaces like it doesn't have to be like a certain amount of people talking about this like there's enough space for everyone to get a chance to voice out exactly yeah and that and I mean that's kind of the frustrating thing is that the Me Too movement was created for women of color um and it just you know as I said at the start it was completely whitewashed and we need to just spend time bringing that back because that's where the real work is going to begin when we're when we're really passing the mic as you say mm-hmm. um so we're going to move on to a third part we're going to still be kind of on the topic of victimhood but we're going to focus on individual testimonies and kind of their nuances so um what are the complexities of me too movement testimonies in voicing individual experiences do you think well it's evident that survivors are affected by voicing out their expect um voicing out their experiences. Um, We also thought it was important to take a look at individual experiences from the books that we have read um, to provide important insights about the complexity of the Me Too movement. And also just to reiterate from the previous points that we talked in earlier that um, Tarana said that sexual violence knows no race, class or gender, but the response to it does. Yeah, definitely. Um, So some examples that we think of really important of testimonies in the two books that we've read. Um, uh, in The Nowhere Girls, one of the main characters, Erin, she is autistic. And um, there is this part where, um, so Erin, we find out throughout the book, has um, experienced sexual assault. And um, she says there is no word for what happened with Casper Pennington, which is the um, guy that raped her. Um, Erin has not been programmed with this knowledge. She does not know the word for what she is supposed to feel. Um, And this is really interesting. And we made this connection with um, the way that Erin relates to a character of Dada from Star Trek. Um, And kind of in that that quote that she says, um, the word programmed, which is a stereotype used against um, neurodivergent people that they don't have emotion and that they can't feel things. Um, and it's important to include these intersectional perspectives in the, rec- in the records of rape um, because, as Tarana has said, um, people with disabilities are seven times more likely to be sexually abused. Um, and so kind of the Nowhere Girls um, does so well to kind of cover these different um, intersectional perspectives of rape and um, how in this example that, um, you know, someone that is neuro- neurodivergent can struggle to um, relate to a movement that isn't created for them because speaking up isn't always um, kind of easy and relating. I mean, it's in any of these situations when we create this big kind of general movement we still need to create those spaces as we keep saying um with nuances for the different people that are a part of this yeah definitely um another character from the Noah girls that we thought it was really interesting to talk about was um amber she is not one of the main characters but she is definitely a character that we thought it was important to talk about Um, especially because she's ostracized within her high school. She's basically known as the school slut, so she's slut-shamed, especially. Um, She also limits her self-worth to relationships with the boys, um, 
and she doesn't associate herself with the movement because she doesn't feel like the movement caters towards as she puts it girls like her and so basically one of the other main girls grace she invites her to come and join the noah girls um, movement but nothing really goes right especially when she's already being ostracized and so a quote is this of An amber's inner monologue amber can't believe how stupid she was how stupid to think things could change that someone like otis could like her that she could ever be friends with those girls, that there was a place for her in their stupid secret club. Fuck Erin for getting the only good guy in the school and fuck her little weird, weirdo friends. Fuck that Mexican dyke and that fat bitch Grace who thinks she's so smart. Fuck Grace for tricking Amber into coming to that meeting. There's a lot to talk about in this. Um, there's just so many ways that you can see how, I guess one, Amber feels really pressured um, especially when they, um, Grace asked her to join in that group. And we also talked like a little bit on the point of like survivors of sexual assault should not be pressured into trying to voicing out their opinions because they don't really need to, they, didn't, they don't need to let their trauma be a topic that should be discussed frequently about, like they shouldn't have to relive that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, like they shouldn't have to live their pain over and over again for the sake of awareness and yeah. For, the, yeah, for the sake of other people to push the agenda that they're trying to push, which is good. Like the Me Too movement is yeah. great, but yeah, there's just definitely nuances that need to be paid attention to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that's pretty much all the points that we wanted to get across. Um, yeah. So, Yeah. I guess so through the examples we discussed from the Nowhere Girls and Queenie, it's become obvious that the Me Too movement is a lot more complex than some may think. And we have uncovered that the Me Too is intrinsically entangled with race, class and ability, both because of where and why it started, also because of the nature of feminism today. Yeah, so rape culture has become an increasingly complex and complicated issue surrounding the conceptualization of sexual violence and assault. Um, and there needs to be more conversations on the topics of the Me Too movement umbrellas, um, as we've mentioned, including the intricacies of rape culture, victimhood and individual testimonies. Yeah, so Lily and I have really enjoyed talking about these concepts and hope this discussion has contributed to your own knowledge of the Me Too movement and intersectional feminism. And also, if you would like to have more further information on this topic you can just visit the me too um, movement um, website which is just me too mvmt.org thank you for listening today and i'll see you soon thank you